is Grace Mitchell. Welcome to the first ever, ever, ever episode of the podcast Brown Mama, Brown Me. I'm really excited to be here, actually. I'm a little bit nervous, I won't lie. But I do think it's important that we start having these conversations. Um, So we are here to discuss matters related to the fact that in the UK, black women are five times more likely to die and Asian women are two times more likely to die in the pregnancy, childbirth and postnatal period, which is up to six weeks after having their babies. So first of all, I should probably tell you a little bit about myself. As I said, my name is Grace. I am first and foremost a a black woman living in the UK. Um, I'm also a wife and mother. So I do have um, three beautiful children um, who I was fortunate enough to um, give birth to. Great kids, I must say. <laughs> Pat myself on the back. Um, and I'm also a midwife, so I've I've been kind of privy to both sides of the coin. So I think it's quite a privileged position to be in, being able to speak from a black mother's perspective, having gone through childbirth, and then also a midwife's perspective, kind of seeing it from the other side. So I'm really, really excited to be able to share some of the information with you guys, whether you be a mum, whether you be a healthcare professional, or you're just kind of interested in the topic, really. Um, There's no, no one group this is aimed at, but it's really important for us to start discussing this topic and really delving into why so good morning good afternoon good evening and good night wherever you're listening i'm really really excited to have you guys listening to this first episode of the brown mama brown me podcast so let's get into it so every year there is a national program which is a confidential inquiry that is run by a um, group called embrace Embrace stands for Mothers and Babies Reducing Risk Through Audits and Confidential Inquiries. Bit of a mouthful. But basically, this report um, lays out the reasons and causes for maternal death, um, the reasons and causes for neonatal death, and some of the things that um, are associated with pregnancy and giving birth in the UK, and the reasons for either the the pregnancy coming to an end or the mother dying during during, uh, the pregnancy period, during birth or up to six weeks after having their baby. Um, So it's quite an in-depth report. It's quite a long report. They do give kind of short, broken-down versions. Um, It's a report that's done each year for a three-year period previous. So... um, For example, in 2019, at the end of 2019, the report was done for 2015 to 2017, um, just laying out the reasons for maternal death, the reasons for neonatal death and some of the causes. Um, And over the years, the report comes out and things change in practice, which means that some of these um, causes for maternal death are reduced. So we've been able to, as healthcare professionals, really look at these causes and and come up with ways, policies and guidelines and protocols to really reduce some of these deaths. But one of the... I don't want to say it's a cause, cause, but I would say it's definitely a factor um, that has been reported in 
this Embrace report multiple times is that black women, well, I suppose in the 2019 version, it has said that black women are five times more likely to die um, than their white counterparts and that Asian and mixed race women are two times more likely to die than their white counterparts, which I think, and I think we can all probably agree that is not great. Um, and it's not something that I feel like should be happening in this year, 2020. So for me, it's about highlighting what the causes of these uh, inequalities are. It's about highlighting how we can make effective change in practice, in knowledge, in um, speaking up so that this inequality is um, reduced and erased. Um, and I think one of the most um, startling things for me was that a few years before this 2019 report, um, that statistic was actually that black women were three times more likely to die. So it just goes to show that although we've progressed in so many different areas, um, this is the one that seemed to, to get worse. I don't know, it's just something that for me is a bit baffling that we've come so far in medical, in technological advances and developed so many guidelines, so many policies, so many things that have made maternity care in the UK so much better. Um, women are so much more informed, but that statistic has, has got worse. So um, I've really had to look at myself and kind of think about how I can impact on that. So here we are, podcast, Brown Mama, Brown Me. Um, I've, I've also had a look at ongoing reports and ongoing um, uh, discussions with various healthcare workers, doulas, um, and lots of different groups of people who have documented the experiences of the black and Asian mum during pregnancy, childbirth, and their postnatal period. And often there's a lot of stories that have been told that for some might be quite shocking. I know some of them for me were quite shocking. Um, and it's not something that I would ever think should be normal. And we should also probably consider the suggestion that there is systematic and systemic racism in maternity services um, or racial bias, if you want to call it that. I don't know, did you guys see recently, you might not have, but I'm not actually even sure how long ago it was, but there was a midwife who did quite a very popular blog, um, blog slash podcast. I didn't follow her myself, but I did see some of the backlash that she was getting because apparently she was trolling black and Asian women on um, social media. And this is actually a midwife who works in the UK, work slash worked. Again, I don't follow her, so I don't really know her story, her journey, but um, for that to be happening in the UK in the last couple of years, a midwife who works in an NHS hospital in the UK, in London, um, doing something like trolling black and Asian mothers on social media is kind of like a snippet, a taste of some of the racial bias that that might exist or that does exist in um, among our healthcare professionals at times. 
And for those of you that don't know what trolling means, it means that this lady was going onto people's social media pictures and videos and um, their online presence, and she was writing um, derogatory comments. She was um, calling names. She was saying really, really horrible things to black women, um, which I think is... A universal understanding that that is not acceptable um so i mean just as a just as an insight into some of the racial biases that we see this woman was a midwife in a london hospital um how can that be happening and i'm sure she thought at the time that it was just going to stay in her personal life she could have a little alias on on her instagram or on her social presence and it, Nobody will find out, but unfortunately for her, and fortunately for those women who she trolled, it did come out. Um, so this is part of the reason why I think it's really, really important for us to really discuss this topic and delve into some of the things that black women, Asian women, and even some mixed race women are experiencing. So what I really wanted to go through was some of the statistics, um, just to keep things in perspective while you're listening to this podcast. Um, so according to this Embrace report that was um, released in 2019, at the end of the year, we had seven women per 100,000 births who died um, as a result of complications related to pregnancy, childbirth and um, during their postnatal period. So that was seven white women per 100,000 births in the UK. If we moved on to the Asian statistic, it was 13 women per 100,000 births who died during that period. So that is kind of two times more likely at this point of uh, for Asian women to die. Then if we move on to the uh, statistics for black women, black women per 100,000 births, 38 women died during that period of time. So if you compare 38 to 7, it's not great. And that's one of the things that I really want you to remember when we're discussing this topic and everything related to it is that that is what we're facing at this point in 20... If we go even from 2019, when the report came out, that is what we are facing. 38 women per 100,000 versus seven women per 100,000. And as we've seen over the years, that the number has gone from three times more likely to five times more likely for black women to die during that period. And what I think the aim of this is, is that we continue the conversation. That means that we can reduce that number for both black women, Asian women and mixed race women and make sure that there are no inequalities that exist uh, across all ethnic groups. And this is not in any way to say that white women are less valuable or we think that black women, Asian women are more important than than the others. But what we're addressing is that disparity between seven white women versus 13 Asian women and even more so 38 black women who will die in that period of time. And even if we move on to other other um, ethnic groups, we've got Chinese people who are nine, nine women in every 100,000 births. And then mixed race, which I'm assuming means um, black or Asian mixed with any other white um, uh, ethnic group, is 23 women per 100,000 births. So it's, it's, it's a lot, you know. 
Um, so let's really keep that in mind. And it is a difficult conversation. It is, is a conversation that can make us feel really uncomfortable. It can make us feel um, like we're being attacked in some ways. I can imagine that it would make people feel like that. Um, and actually, sometimes it forces us to address some of the, the uncomfortable feelings that we have either knowing the topic or now knowing the topic or how we might have contributed either directly or indirectly to the way that this has come about. But if we are forced to do that, that means we are forced to make change unless we are those people who blindly walk through life ignoring all the things that make us feel uncomfortable. And then nothing really happens. So um, although it does feel uncomfortable and it is a difficult conversation racial inequality in maternity care and actually in any setting is something that has to be addressed we live in a melting pot we in in the uk not even just london but in the uk there are many places cities towns even small places that have so many different ethnicities so many different backgrounds all sorts of people from different walks of life. It is near enough impossible to go through life not addressing these topics. Um, And one of the things actually that I found really interesting is that on the face of it, you could probably assume that it was women who are black and Asian that have migrated to the UK in the last couple of years. There might be language barriers, there might be cultural differences that make it really difficult to... And make sure that these women are getting the right type of care. Um, but actually, we're not just talking about foreign women. We're not just talking about women that have migrated to the UK or now live in the UK. We're actually talking about black and Asian women who were born here, who were raised here, who speak an English accent, who have no language barriers, probably don't even know a different language. And those are also the women that are included in these statistics that, um, and that are five times more likely to die and three times more likely to die. So how do we justify that sort of thing? I know it would be very easy to think about it as foreign women who have different cultural practices, speak different languages, um, not familiar with the UK health system. That could be a reason. But at the same time, that really doesn't address those British-born women with um, no other difference in terms of the way of life, um, language. Those women are still included. Um, And actually, these statistics, I, I don't think they're the same, but there's a lot of similarities with these statistics in the US. And I think... Um, we've seen, even with some of the celebrities that have given birth in the recent years, Beyonce often has has been very vocal about her experience in um, having her twins. I think she said she suffered quite severe preeclampsia. She was swollen and needed um, emergency caesarean section. Um, Serena Williams also has documented her... Um, journey in having her daughter and actually have experienced a pulmonary embolism which for those who don't know is a blood clot 
on her lungs. She's a woman who's very fit and healthy. I'm pretty sure her diet is good. Um, she works out. She is not overweight, from what I can see. I don't know her credentials, but I don't think she's overweight. And she has money. So even with all of that, she still found it really difficult to get medical staff and medical doctors to take her seriously. So what does that tell us? It's not necessarily about having a lot of money. It's not necessarily about having the best diet, although I'm sure these things help. But if a woman like Serena Williams had difficulty with getting medical people to really take her seriously and believe what she was saying, there is something in that, I think. Um, so you could say it's um, that Asian and black women have poor diet, poor health. Some of the ways that uh, foods are cooked high in salt, high in fats. Um, but at the same time, I'm not sure that it's that much different for any other ethnic group who, who sometimes cook and eat foods that are not great for the body. Um, and that encourage things like diabetes, hypertension and obesity, which we know um, as midwives and healthcare professionals that, are, that create extra risk factors for pregnancy. But how do we then separate black and Asians and their white counterparts from that risk factor? There are all types of different uh, ethnicities that cook and eat and have poor health practices. Um, but white women are still not as likely to die. That is a, something that we really should be thinking about. Again, there is a idea, an idea about the lack of engagement and the lack of um, access to services and education um, and I've heard many argue that actually some of the services, some of the information, some of the guidance is geared towards um, white mothers. It's run by predominantly white midwives and staff. Um, some of the literature in terms of leaflets and stuff like that have a lot of white imagery which doesn't connect very well with uh, the black and Asian mum. So I think some of that has to be addressed by us as the healthcare professional, that how do we create an environment where these women feel like they are welcomed into the maternity care world and they feel like, actually, I want to engage with my midwife. I want to go to the antenatal classes. I want to meet other mothers. I want to find out what is best for me and my baby. Um, and... That is something that is, I would say, not difficult to address, um, especially with the literature and stuff like that. I think there's always scope for changing or addressing the types of, of imagery that are put on maternity literature, um, even down to TV, um, YouTube adverts, things like that. We're, there's always ways and means of us um, making women feel like they are part of a demographic that is welcomed into that environment. One of the other uh, things that was addressed in this Embrace report was that um, 
the socioeconomic status of um, women plays a big part in maternal death and they found that people that lived in the most deprived areas were more likely to die during pregnancy, during childbirth or up to six weeks after they've had their babies. Um, And there is some evidence to say that black and Asian women and families live in less affluent areas. Um, So they've kind of put those two statistics together to say that that's why or that's a factor. Um, But there are plenty of wealthy, well-educated black and Asian women, many of whom are doctors, lawyers, solicitors. I don't know. (laughs) Many people might, if you're listening from a black or Asian um, background, you'll know that according to our parents, there's only a few things that we uh, can do in terms of a career choice that will not disgrace the family, (laughs) which is some sort of healthcare professional, a lawyer, a doctor. So there are a lot of well-educated black women, a lot of well-educated and wealthy Asian women. Um, And so if we were talking about socioeconomics, that would then say that those wealthy and well-educated women wouldn't experience some of the things that those from a lower socioeconomic class are experiencing, but yet they are. So, unfortunately, we kind of ruled that one out a little bit. Um, and some of these t- some of these um, points are just things that have been discussed or have been put forward as reasons to why the disparities and the inequalities between these maternal deaths are, are apparent. Um, but I think it's too easy to blame. It's too easy to look at that and and put it on these these um, reasons and say, oh well, that's it. Then we know it's because uh, black and Asian women are more likely to be living in less, or, or sorry, more deprived areas. So that's the reason. Um, that's too easy. I think we need to again take a long hard look at ourselves and think about our part both individually and collectively and systemically um there has been a i think actually this is something that even in my own story there's something about what they call the myth of the strong black woman um where reports of pain or not being able to cope with pain are often dismissed, um, which leads to sometimes a lot of severe emergency complications or um, complications needing immediate um, and emergency care. Um, There has been this idea that a black woman's body can withstand excessive amounts of pain a black woman's body can withstand excessive prolonged amounts of pain um, and the moment that they speak up it's either that they're overreacting or it's that they are I don't know it's a narrative that is around I, I'm, I'm yet to understand it myself I mean I understand the concept but I don't underst- understand why women are not believed when they say I'm in pain, or I feel like something is wrong, or I'm not sure about this and I'm worried. 
Um, and I think on the next episode, what we'll do is we'll delve into some of the history of um, the gynecological advances from um, historical perspectives. And that, that might give us an insight into why that is a narrative. Um, but I think it's important to consider that now, as we move forward, we are in an age where we are encouraging women and people, and in, in just in general, we're encouraging everybody to speak up, talk about their feelings, talk about, you know, what's not okay, what they would like as part of their journey, as part of their, their stories. Uh, only for black and Asian women to be told that it's it doesn't count or that it's not valid. It's kind of contradictory. It's like, no, let's talk about how you feel and let's talk about what you want for your birth story and your journey and your pregnancy. And, you know, let's talk about things that are important for you. But then, on the other hand, they're then shut down when they speak up. So we really, again, have to address some of the unconscious and subconscious biases that we have and ideologies that we have about the female body and the black female body and some of the cultural differences that we we know are present. Not everybody in the UK lives as a Brit or has British cultural practices. Um, people carry with them a wealth of traditions, a wealth of um, cultural differences and practices that are so normal to them because that's that's they live as... Their parents and grandparents have brought them up, often bringing with them such deep and important cultural practices that I think sometimes when we move to the UK or we live in the UK, it's easy to forget about, it's easy to lose sight of. But during childbirth and having a baby, or that period of pregnancy and having a baby and having a newborn, a lot of these cultural practices are extremely important to these women. Um, some that we as Britons, I say we because I was born in the UK and I may not understand all of the cultural practices of an Asian woman or a woman from a country that I'm not from. We have to look at these cultural practices as their normal. Um, yes, we take into account some of the safety aspects. Yes, we take into account some of the things that might develop into risk factors. But also, although it might not be normal for us, it is normal for that woman. And we really need to start appreciating some of the cultural practices that, despite us not understanding all the time, we know that that is important for these women. So why are we not trying to uh, encourage these women to continue with their traditional practices in a safe way? And if there are things that we feel maybe are not the safest, really speaking to these women on a level, making them feel like, actually, do you know what? You can keep your cultural practices. You can incorporate some of your cultural practices into your pregnancy, into your birth, into your, you know, the first few weeks of your baby's life without feeling like you're going to be judged or somebody's looking down on you or somebody's thinking, oh, this is weird, or making them feel ostracised. Um, just to close, we have a chief midwifery officer now in the UK. <clears throat> Round of applause, which is progression definitely for the, the um, midwifery arena. 
Um, her name is Jacqueline Dunkley Bent. She has done a lot of work for um, promoting different aspects of maternity care. And one of the things that she recommends for black and Asian women, well, rec she recommends it for all women, most women, but she she's documented and, and mentioned on a number of occasions that it will benefit those that are vulnerable, uh, such as teenage mums, and she's also recommended it for black and Asian women for this reason, the fact of that they are five times more likely to die um, in this period. Um, and one of the things that she's recommended is continuity of carer. And I think I remember my mum once upon a time saying that she would see the same midwife each appointment um, and that midwife would be her midwife. That was who she could contact, that was who knew her story, that was the person and the midwife who would potentially be there for her when she gave birth. I don't actually know how that turned out in terms of whether that person was there for her birth, but it was the standard way of care for those years. Um, and over the years, that kind of fell by the wayside. And it's now becoming a point um, for us in maternity care to bring back continuity of care where the woman is able to see one, if not two midwives throughout the course of her, her pregnancy. Those uh, midwives or team of midwives will be there to help her have her baby and then see her postnatally um, at home and able to give her support with her newborn baby and the family as a whole. And I think it's really important um, with this new continuity of carer because women will be able to develop that trust, develop that rapport with their midwife um, and be more open to sharing some of the thoughts, some of the feelings, some of the ideas, some of the cultural practices, some of the things that they feel really important for their journey with this person who they have been able to develop that relationship with. Um, so that's one of the things that I'm I'm sure in the coming weeks and years will really, really start to take off and we will really start to see the benefit of it. But it's not enough just to talk about it. We have to be about it. Um, and a quote I want to leave you with at this point is, I don't actually know who said it, but here we go. You are what you do not what you say you'll do. So let's not just say we'll do stuff, but let's do stuff. Guys, I'll see you next time on Brown Mama, Brown Me. Next time we'll be talking about the historical aspect of um, gynaecology and the black woman's body. And I hope to have you with me. Take care.